I'd like to welcome you all tonight to this house of friends, a place where silence is honored and respected, and where the world always finds its way in. Everyone's cell phone switched off. I'd like to dedicate tonight's practice to a dear friend of ours. Her name is Malini. She's experiencing a lot of difficulty breathing and probably hasn't got much time left with cancer having spread through the body. But Malini is someone who has been practicing meditation for many, many years and was fortunate to have been raised in this tradition in Sri Lanka. So from a young age, she was interested in this practice and she's used it to her benefit. So even though her body is rapidly disintegrating, she seems to be very composed, very at peace with herself, and very tuned into her own process. This evening, before coming here, we drove up from the Hermitage, which is west of Perth, and stopped in to visit Malini and her sister Pushpa. And usually when you go visit someone, you sit around and catch up, right? Talk about things. So much to talk about. A couple of other friends came over who lived nearby. Malini was breathing quite heavily, sitting up in a couch with her feet spread out, covered with a blanket. And uh, the rest of us sat on the floor and one man in a chair around her. And all we did was sit and listen to her breathe for probably as long as we've sat here today listening to each other breathe. But it was an exquisite breathing. She was struggling to breathe. I only wanted to listen to her breathe. To me, that was riveting because her breaths were taken at great pains and in spite of this grave illness, I know, because I know her well, I know that her mind is pretty much focused on being at peace, being still, listening to her own breathing. And watching herself struggle, her body struggle. To be able to listen to that brought me very deep into my own process. Where else would it take me? A reminder of my own pending death. Unknown. No, I don't have cancer. But I have a body and it's impermanent. It's oldish, and it's breaking down. All of us, no matter what age we are, we are living in 
the waiting room, as they say. Eventually, this body will not serve us any longer and we will have to go through a similar kind of experience, if not a slow and extended one such as hers, maybe more quickly, maybe less painful, maybe more painful, unknown. But all of us will have to face that. Sitting there in the room, a small collection of friends, listening to a loved one breathe, is an amazing experience. Amazing way to bring ourselves into the present moment and to touch our life with gratitude and feel the compassion rise up deeply in the heart for this person and hold her in that compassion. And as we do that, I found myself holding my own life with compassion. That yes, I too am subject to birth, aging, and death. And how am I living my life? And where is my mind at this moment? And I could rejoice in being able to spend those moments sharing silence, sharing just the process of breathing, being together in gratitude for each other and for what we are as we are. Nobody was trying to impress anybody. I can breathe louder than you. Or I I don't make any noise when I breathe. We were just listening to the struggle of the specialness of being able to breathe. I don't think there was a critical thought in anyone's mind. I don't think there was much movement at all. It was very, very still. Apart from the heaving and the gasping a little bit. But if I opened my eyes and looked at her, she was resting. She was restful. She's an old practitioner and has a lot of insight. It's very interesting then to come here and sit with all of you and to notice how much restlessness there is in us. When we come in from the world and we're all in full swing. We're hooked up and plugged in and vibrating with the world. And even though we're sitting here trying very hard to be still, shifting around the posture and inside our minds, we might be going 80 kilometers an hour or circling somewhere in Ottawa. or in the past, or in the future. This is a very stark reminder to us of how important it is to train the mind. Train the mind to treasure the silence and to constantly bring ourselves back to this breath with gratitude, with compassion, with urgency, with understanding. And in that space, we're able to see the contrast of what it feels like when the mind can't stop. 
That's the suffering. When you can't stop your mind, it's, it can be hell. Even if the mind is enjoying, we're enjoying an experience, eventually the enjoyment of that experience will end and there will be a sense of what next. It'll start looking for the next enjoyment. Even if you switch off your cell phone, your mind won't stop. Who was it? Or the embarrassment of having it go off in the middle of a meditation. Or there was the silent strains of rock music or something coming through the walls. There's a party going on. Could you recognize the song? Someone might have been wondering. Meanwhile, the breath is expiring, coming and going, and we're not with it. We're not living as we could. So with all that restlessness, I come back to this image of Malini sitting in the chair with very short time left and just being with the breath such a precious thing. So I thought of four things to ponder with you that might help us to come back to that precious moment of being fully with our own experience so that when we do go out into that mad world that we live in, we can bring some stillness with us instead of adding to the noise and confusion. The four things are, number one, abstention. Abstention is an interesting word. Ab means without, doesn't it? To abstain. And a stain is like a blemish. To be without a blemish. Abstain. Abstention not blemished. But actually the word means renouncing or giving up to abstain. Abstention is not having certain things, giving up certain things. As lay people, there are so many things that you're able to get in life. You can get about anything you want. What's the opposite of abstention? It's not abstention. What is it? Uh-huh. Consumption. Consumption. Acquisition. Acquisition. You're a linguist, Lynn, right? Acquisition. Acquiring. Acquiring is what the world is doing. Acquiring possessions or experiences information, fame. What else can we acquire? A new computer? Bad habits? Knowledge. Knowledge, information or knowledge. Friends, acquiring friends. And abstaining or not having, giving up restraining ourselves means that we're letting go. 
if we're really being mindful and discriminating, discerning in our lives and trying to bring ourselves to a greater understanding of why we're here and what what we're able to do with this life, what's the most skillful thing that we can do, we start to notice the difference between the things that help us if we acquire them and the things that it would help us to abstain from. In this tradition, we are advised, we are guided to abstain from killing, harming, causing harm to any living being, and to abstain from dishonesty or stealth, stealing, or deceiving others, wrongly acquiring things. That means also information. Today we had a very interesting visitor at the Hermitage. A woman came and knocked on the door, very loud, knock, knock, and Nimala went to the door and opened the door and this woman said, I have something for you. (laughs) And she didn't know who it was, but so many people come to see us. She thought maybe it's one of my friends or somebody from a retreat. So she let her in. And this woman brought a large photograph in a frame of the Hermitage taken from the air. And she wanted to sell it to us. Now, this was very shocking. Of course, when I came in and I saw what was going on, I asked her, are you selling that to us? She said, yes. Don't you like it? But you know, it was, there was something wrong with the whole thing. It was such an intrusion. Who, who gave her the, the freedom to get up in an airplane somehow, or a helicopter, and take these wonderful photographs of our property and then come down and kind of entice us to want it. Of course you want that, it's so nice, this is our hermitage. But it was a stealthy thing to do and to barge in like that, quite stealthy. So I said, we're not interested. And she quickly left. To stay away from unskillful conduct which takes advantage of people's weakness or their greed or their interests or what they're attached to. How we use our energy to abstain. How could this woman gain respect in that kind of livelihood? But I'm sure she would drive down the road, put another picture in the same frame, knock on another door and somebody might offer her a few hundred dollars to get this photograph of their property. We get tricked into wanting something we would never think of having. Do you have a photo of your house taken from the air? (laughs) Who needs it? Our society is like this. Constant people are dreaming of all kinds of schemes to entice us to acquire something that we have no use for. 
I don't watch television, but I'm sure there are lots of advertisements that present things to you that then you want to go out and buy it. If we can abstain from behaviors, from conduct, that leads us into these unskillful situations, abstaining from friends who do things like that, abstaining from speech which is harmful, from betraying our friends, betraying ourselves by being abusive in our relationships, being dishonest in our relationships, and abstaining from intoxicating substances which rob our minds of clarity. So to abstain rather than to acquire, to habituate ourselves to just get get what we don't need constantly. How many shoes do we have? How many pieces of clothing? How many possessions? How many emails do we write a day? How much information are we exchanging constantly? The, the world is obsessed now with information rather than knowledge. What do we need to know? What we really need to know is how this body and mind work so that we can find the peace that we're looking for here within ourselves and we don't know how to do that. Even when we finally make it to a house of peace, a place of honoring silence, we're still fidgeting and restless and the mind is grabbing onto thoughts and rushing around. We can't sit still. So the second thing we should ponder is attention. How to develop attention and how to understand its opposite. What is its opposite? Distraction. Yes, that's a good word. Inattention. Distraction. Distraction which leads us to delusion because we're constantly looking and paying attention at things that don't nourish that sense of stopping, of stillness within us. So the third thing that we need to cultivate is stillness. Stillness that looks at one object and we're advised to use something like the breath, which is constant, neutral, and keeps going unless you're dying, and then you die, then it stops. But then you, you don't need to be doing that because that's it. <laughs> that's stopping. But the mind, that's the mystery. What's the opposite of stillness? Movement. In meditation, we're training the mind and refining our ability to pay attention and to abstain from all the movement in the world by stopping. It's the opposite of the way we train the body. The body becomes more powerful, more skilled, more agile through movement, but not the mind. The mind becomes vast, clear, resplendent, and luminous when it 
learns to be still. It's like a dog, we have to train it. Constantly pulling it in, reining it in. What's the fourth thing? What would be the product of abstaining, of being attentive to the present moment, to one object, of stilling all the movements in the mind so that we can be one-pointed, concentrated, and fully present? What would be the result? Peace. In that peace, there is a kind of surrender. The surrender of the ego. Because it's the ego that's actually the little demon at the back of all this movement. Constantly encouraging us and enticing us like that woman that came in the door today. Hmm, here's something you want, don't you? Go on then, get it. You have the freedom. But the ego is not wise. And if we follow it, we actually lose our freedom. We think that freedom is through movement. But true freedom is liberating ourselves from the need to go anywhere at all. Or do anything at all except be at one with our own breathing, listening, fully attentive to this moment. That's a surrender. We've given up. We don't need any photographs. We don't need conversation. There was nothing to say. What do we usually talk about? It was irrelevant to a person who was dying. And in fact, it's irrelevant to us because we're also dying moment by moment. Whenever we're not attentive, when we're lost in acquiring what we don't need, when we're not still, and when we don't understand how to surrender to the present and let the ego run away before it runs us over. There was nothing to say, just being what we are, fully present, fully alive, conscious, aware, open, expansive, In that itself comes the stillness. So when we give up the conversations, do you know what I did yesterday? Who cares? Here we are enjoying the most blissful moment. How many kinds of conversation we have, whether it's about food or computers, fast cars, the hockey game, the news, the war, whatever it is, it's going to make us mad or upset or excited or happy. But it's all impermanent. And it doesn't really nourish the true joy that we can develop in ourselves. Isn't it wonderful when you meet somebody who in their dying, in the death of the body, letting go of the body, they can be so translucent that they can communicate that kind of stillness just through the breath to remind us what we're capable of doing if we don't hang on to what doesn't give us what we need.
if we let go in skillful ways and return, connect, return to that pure awareness, then, like a hollow flute, emptying ourselves of fear, we can be the pure love that we are busy searching for. The world is tumultuous and we tumble along with it. Tumble, tumble. Or there's a blizzard in the mind and we shiver in it. It could be a blizzard of hatred or a terrible storm of greed wanting something that we can't get. It could be just lost in confusion. What am I going to do with my life? This all burning question. When the breath that we're breathing this moment, we can't even be present for it. If we were to take every step of our lives with care, compassion, mindfulness, abstaining from what is unskillful and developing, cultivating what will help us practice a great standard of virtue, non-harming, right speech, right conduct, right livelihood, a right way of thinking unselfishly rather than just me, me, me and mine then the blizzard itself would subside. We wouldn't have to know where our life is going. We would only have to know that our life is well-guided, that we're living well, that it be a beautiful life, a good life. It doesn't matter how long it is, it matters the quality use this understanding, this way of seeing and listening to the silence as a doorway to a good life, a pure life, a way of being that will be a blessing to ourselves and others. That requires finding good friends, true friends, and staying away from foolish people. So you can examine what kind of friends you have. Evaluate your life. Don't just live it carelessly. Don't just think that because you have the ability to be wherever you want, whenever you want, with whoever you want, all that will not satisfy your wanting for a minute. There'll never be enough. But to sit down and listen to your heartbeat and to know what conduces to that kind of stillness, 
then your life will unfold in beauty, in joy, and in blessing. Don't just believe what I'm saying. Try it. It works. It really does. Those of you that have been coming here for years and years and years know that or you wouldn't keep coming back. Thank you for your patience.